on May 24, 2023, I had the pleasure of interviewing my former student, Jeff Rader, who is one of the founders of Warby Parker and Harry's Razors. As a shareholder of Warby Parker and the consumer of both Warby Parker's and Harry's products, I am very impressed with both companies. Hello, everybody. Today is May 24, 2023. I'm honored to have as my guest today, Jeff Rader. Jeff is a former student of mine at Wharton. And uh, welcome, Jeff. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great well, to see you. It's great to see you and have you. And it's always good talking with you. But Jeff, I wanted to get into this just a little bit about your background. You were uh, You graduated from Wharton in 2010. And even before you graduated, you were thinking of starting a business. And along with three other classmates, you started Warby Parker, which is almost a ubiquitous name now. If people want to purchase eyeglasses or, um, you know, uh, I guess even contact lenses, what gave you the idea to buy it? And can you just tell us a little bit about it? Totally. Um, yeah. So we started Warby Parker. Uh, launched in 2010, but started in late 2008. Um, you know, for me, the idea for Warby Parker came from one of my business school classmates. Uh, I was sitting around after class one day and, uh, and one of my good friends came up to me and another friend of mine and said, hey, what do you think of the idea of selling glasses online? And at the time I had a, you know, $500 pair of prescription glasses. My prescription had changed multiple times, but I hadn't changed my glasses because they were so expensive and I was a student and like, you know, didn't want to pay $500. I said, man, I'd love a new pair of glasses, you know, especially if they were like fashionable, look great, said something about who I was and if I could get them at like a decent price. Uh, and one of my friends uh, who was sitting next to me, I'd worked in the hour industry before school uh, and said, like, I've been to the place where they make those glasses or glasses like that. You could get literally glasses just that good or probably better for less than $100. Um, and the reason that glasses are so expensive is because there's this sort of... Uh, supply chain value chain that works where there's a couple of big companies that dominate, they charge significant markups to customers, doesn't need to be that way. And I was like, no, 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 I've got high index lenses, like, you know, titanium frames or whatever. And he was like, it's like metal and plastic. Like it's not that expensive. Glasses should not cost as much as an iPhone. And I like that, that kind of line stuck in my head, uh, walked away from meeting them, went, went about my day, got home that night. I couldn't sleep. Like I just kept on thinking about this idea like one o'clock in the morning, I emailed them, you know, the two guys I've been talking to about this. I was like, this is a good idea. Like we should do this. We're in business school. Let's start a business. It'll be fun. We'll do it together. We're friends, et cetera. Um, and they emailed back right away. And it's like, we can't stop thinking about it either. It's really exciting. And so pretty quickly, four of us got together uh, and we said, why don't we, you know, take some of our time in business school and focus it on seeing if, if we could build, you know, a brand of, of eyewear that would, um, you know, sort of, do good in the world you know, that people would love to wear uh, that we could deliver to people at awesome prices, do good for our customers, do good for the world. And, um, and that was sort of the, uh, the inspiration of the early days of Warby Parker. Now, one thing before we get into a little bit more of this, when you talk about doing good for the world, can you just talk a little bit about, cause I've always been impressed by what Warby yeah. Parker does. Yeah. So my Warby Parker co-founder, Neil, um, you know, before coming to business school, 
worked for a, a sort of social impact organization nonprofit that provided people with affordable reading glasses, um, largely people living under less than $4 a day who otherwise wouldn't have access to glasses. And he had this amazing set of stories around how people would put glasses on and they like couldn't see before and all of a sudden they could see. You know, farmers who are planting seeds could now count the number of seeds or seamstresses could look at the stitch in their, you know, as they were sewing and like it would change their lives. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, there's like, there's real magic in these moments. Like you're making a huge difference in people's lives far beyond the price or cost of a pair of glasses. And so, you know, pretty quickly we sort of built into our business model. Hey, for every pair of glasses we sell, let's donate a pair through, you know, amazing nonprofit partners to people who otherwise wouldn't be able to see. And what like incredible sort of impact could we have there? And now we've expanded that. We have this um, project we call Pupils Project where we are trying to provide uh, sort of glasses and eye exams to students in cities like New York and Baltimore um, and covering wide swaths of the student population people otherwise wouldn't have access. And so we kind of fundamentally believe that everyone should be able to see and that we, you know, by building this business should be able to um, over time give back to the community in a way that we do that. When we recently, where we Parker went public, we started a foundation um, uh, we sort of you know, took some of the stock that we had in Warby Parker and put it into a foundation that also supports sort of access to vision care for people. So we we care deeply about, you know, sort of that part of our mission. And it's very connected to the purpose of, of the brand. Now, as former students, I'm a shareholder in Warby Parker. And so I'm impressed by what you do. And I also want to just everyone to disclose that. So now you have this idea to, to form this business. You couldn't sleep. You contacted your classmates. What happened? Because you came into my class at one point and told me about how it took off faster than you ever expected. Yeah. You just go through yeah, that so, a little? Yeah, so we launched the business in 2010. Um, and um, it was amazing from sort of the day we launched, we were overwhelmed um, in a good way. And, and I think sometimes a hard way uh, by demand. Um, you know, we, um, we had a bunch of people write articles about Warby Parker, which were amazing. Like we, you know, launched in GQ and in Vogue. Um, there was this newsletter called Daily Candy that was widely read at the time, and they wrote a piece about us in the New York Magazine, and just a bunch of amazing folks, uh, you know, kind of wrote, wrote about Warby Parker, and and they, you know, sort of said, hey, there's this new eyewear label, like products look amazing, you know, the same as what you'd pay for, uh, you know, what you'd get with a $500 pair of glasses, but they're only $95, and you can get them online, and you can try them on home at home for free. They called us the Netflix of eyewear at the time. Netflix was you know, sending DVDs to people back and forth. And you could literally get us to send you five pairs of trying at home, try them on and come back. And so like they have this new business model that enables them to deliver you amazing glasses at really affordable prices. That was kind of like the, the set of stories. And we were surprised that A, we were able to get people to talk about it. And then B, that people would read it to come to our website. But very early on, we were overwhelmed with demand. Like we sold out. Um, we had our first year sales projection in our first month. Uh, we had thousands and thousands of customers, and then it was on us to go make those customers happy. And I think one of the things that my co-founders and I took really seriously was kind of being on the front lines and trying to ensure that everybody who bought from Warby Parker in the early days had a good experience. We hired people who would also be highly customer sort of centric and customer obsessed, and that they would also be very focused on sort of enabling customers to have good experience. I gave away gosh, tens, maybe hundreds of pairs of glasses in those early days because we were screwing up. Like, you know, we got an order and 
we didn't have the pair of glasses in yet because you know we were sold out and someone had to wait longer than they wanted and i was just like so focused on making sure they were happy that it was like hey cool that that pair of glasses on us like we just want you to have good experiences we're a new company i'm the founder like how can i make your experience with us better and you know i think we tried to set a tone during that time where where our team felt like we had to do anything that we could to make customers happy and so as we started to scale and grow you know we kept on coming back in stock on frames and then selling out again and coming back and selling out. Um, but really tried to do all we could to talk to the folks who were excited about the brand and also just be thankful. Like, gosh, even today when I see people wearing Warby Parkers, I'm like, thank you so much for your support for the brand and for us and the mission and for doing good for others. Like we really appreciate it. So um, I think that was an exciting and fun time and spent a lot of time doing that in the first year plus of Warby. All right. So you graduate from Wharton in 2010. Yeah. You already started the business. Yeah. You're working at it for a while. Yeah. It's growing. Yeah. And at the time, it was still just an online business. You didn't go to the bricks right. and mortar. That's right. We had uh, we had showrooms in our apartments in Philly, and people were driving from New York to Philly to come try on the glasses, which was amazing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It was a great way to get to know customers. Wow. Okay. So now... You decide to, so 2010 comes to, uh, three years afterwards. Then you decide, I'm still going to rem remain with Warby Parker in some fashion. Yep. But you decided to start Harry's Razors. Yep. yep. Tell us about that. Yeah. So as we talked about, I started Warby Parker when I was in business school with three of my best friends and, and classmates. Prior to business school, I'd worked at a private equity fund called Charles Bank, which is an amazing place with amazing people. And before starting Warby Parker, I thought that's what I wanted to do for my life. Like I really loved the people and the job and I was, we were buying companies and I was getting to sit on the boards of those companies, you know, or at least observe the boards of those companies and work with amazing CEOs. And um, so prior to school, they gave me an offer to come back after school and, and said, we'll pay for your business school if you want to take that offer. And I said, this is great. I'm in. So I took that offer. I went to business school. They paid for me to go to school. And then um, I came back. I had to go back to Charles Bank after business school. And that's why I stepped. That's when I stepped down from Warby full time, but stayed on the board. And, and during that time, when I was back at Charles Bank after business school, I was still kind of moonlighting at Warby. It was still really young. And so I'd have breakfast with my co-founders by our office in Union Square, go up to Midtown to Charles Bank, to Charles Bank's office, come back to our Warby Parker offices later in the evening. And I loved Warby so much. It felt like fun. And in that time, working in private equity felt a little more to me like work. And I was having these kind of existential questions for myself, like, what do I really want to do, you know, in, in my life? And um, I had this A-B test. And like, for me there, I don't think there's any better firm in the world than Charles Bank. Like, I still love the people there. They've been amazing mentors and supporters to me. And what was kind of continued to nag at me was that this thing that we'd done at Warby Parker was having so much impact in the world. And I actually just liked doing the entrepreneurial thing. Like I like starting a company. And so I started having kind of thoughts like, would I want to do something like Warby Parker again? Would it be fun to start another company with all we take all we've learned at Warby Parker and apply it somewhere else? And as I was like starting to think about that more seriously, my Harry's co-founder, whose name is Andy, um, he and I have been good friends for a long time. He G-chatted me one day. I was at work at Charles Bank. He said, hey, I had a bad experience at a drugstore. I went to a drugstore I had to wait for a long time for someone to unlock the razor case. I 
bought some razor blades and shaving cream and like way overpaid for them. I think it was like $25 for four razor blades and some shaving cream, which just feels crazy to me. Like, I mean, I know that there's a significant difference between how much I'm paying for these things and what they cost to make. And then I'm looking at my package. There's like a blade flying over the moon. Like, I don't understand how this, why this is the way this is some futuristic interpretation of technology that's like packed into my razor, but that I have to pay too much for. And it's locked up because it's so expensive. Like it just feels like a broken customer experience. And, you know, the question he asked me is, could you take what you learned at Warby Parker and do it better here? And then we started, and I was like, oh my gosh, like I totally, I felt like the first time I heard about Warby Parker, like I sat back in my chair and I was like, yeah, that does really feel bad. When you, you know, check out at the drugstore and you've paid $70 and you look and you're like, what did I just buy for $70? Like, oh, I, you know, I bought some Band-Aids and some razor blades and the, the razor blades are like, what's so expensive? I was like, this is crazy. You're totally right. There is an opportunity here to do something better for ourselves first, guys like us. Now, I don't know, would a lot of other guys want that? Probably, but we should probably validate that. And then we started riffing on a business model where you could build a brand that looked and felt different with incredible design and handles that featured just the amazing elements of the product. And you have to find great blades. Like they can't just be okay. They have to be like the very best blades in the world because this is like a knife you're taking to your face. So we have to find really high quality blades. So that seems like something we have to figure out if we can do. And then we can sell them online. Like we could bypass the whole drugstore experience. And what's so cool about Warby Parker is I love talking to our customers at Warby Parker and at Warby Parker, you kind of buy glasses once or twice and then you're good for a while at Harry's, you get to keep coming back for products over and over and over again. So we can build long-term relationships with our customers. That's a pretty cool model. And we could sort of build, you know, sort of good for the community into this too. And so we got excited about all these ideas literally in that chat and then in subsequent conversations. And then we started doing all the work around like, is this an opportunity? Why are razor blades so expensive? And why did this experience in the store not feel good to Andy? And what are the underlying factors that created this the way that, and could we actually build something different or better? And yeah, I mean, we took, we took a year essentially to sort all that out. And at the end of it, I think we felt convicted that we could build something pretty special at Harry's with amazing design. You know, we found a factory in Germany that makes some of the best blades in the world, got them to agree to work with us to, to make our blades and excel them, you know, through Harry's kind of exclusively in the U.S., and we felt like we created a brand that was approachable and warm and friendly that we could give back. We give 1% of our sales back to organizations that support men's mental health. And we feel like, you know, our brand can help you feel kind of good on the inside and the outside. Um, and we talked to a lot of customers who, you know, sort of shared and resonated with the, the feeling that Andy felt where we felt like they felt like we could do it better for them. And so I think all that gave us conviction to go and, and launch and build Harry's. Well, it's interesting. Just before the interview today, I mentioned to you that my glasses are from Warby Parker. I use Harry's razors. and But it's just so neat to hear how you give back to people, whether it be glasses or in some yeah, in some other fashion with, through Harry's. And it just, to me, it's very uh, comforting to hear what yeah. you're doing. At Harry's, we've given over $12 million um, to organizations that support men's mental health. Um, I think we're one of the largest donors for men's mental health sort of causes in the country. Um, we've reached over a million and a half men with the work that we do. Um, and, and it's just, and I think also like, um, we care a lot about our own team, and our own mental health. And that's been really hard and important in the last number of years is, you know, sort of everyone's had to work through the pandemic and, and the aftermath. So um, I feel very fortunate to have people at Harry's who are amazing and care a lot about that. And, um, and yeah, I think it's, it's something that we, um, we believe really strongly and it has to be connected to the purpose of the brand. I think like 
what we found is that one plus one equals three. You know, when we started Harry's, we put a banner up or during the pandemic, we put a banner up on our website um, that said like, hey, we know people are struggling. We're all kind of struggling right now. If you just need a place to go sort of need someone to talk to or a place to go, look, here's a bunch of organizations that are amazing. And we, you know, put all these organizations on a page, organizations that we work with, like incredible places. And, and those organizations got hundreds and thousands of calls from our customers. And that felt feels good. It feels like we can not just give, but actually play a role in the lives of our customers. It's positive at the right moments. Not that we need to be overwhelming to them. They've got their own lives, a lot of other people talking about a lot of things, but in those moments, hopefully we can, we can have impact. So you're doing good while you're doing well, which is very comforting. I'm trying and we're not perfect, but one day at a time. And, um, it's interesting that both Harry's and Warby Parker started with a similar sort of analysis, that there's a big gap between what it costs to make the product and what people are paying for it. Yep. There are some differences in that Harry's has recurring sales to the same people every yep. few months or every few weeks, depending on it. And the glasses, as you said, are maybe yeah, an annual or biannual purchase. Yep. Still recurring, but just less frequent. Yep. I still see. I see that you're still on the board of the company, and now at at Warby, and that's Warby Parker, that you've uh, gone to a brick and mortar uh, model as well as an online model. Mm -hmm. What caused you to transition from just solely online to both brick and mortar and online? Because that's a big capital investment to go yeah. brick and mortar. Totally. Well, we listen to our customers. So as I mentioned earlier, we started having showrooms for our glasses where people can come try on our glasses in Philly and our apartments. And people were coming from far distances to come to our apartments to try on our glasses. So that was like an interesting sort of like aha uh -huh moment. And then when we <clears throat> built an office in New York City, we started, we built a showroom in our office where people could come into the office and try on glasses. We, our first office was at Union Square. It had kind of a small corner as a showroom. And I remember walking up one weekend and the whole office was full of people who were there trying glasses. I was like, huh, this is interesting. We built an office in Soho, our next office. And we were doing more sales per square feet out of the showroom in that office than Tiffany's. Like now it was a small showroom. It's not totally apples to apples. Tiffany's has giant stores, but it was a fun thing to say. Like we were literally, it was one of some of the most productive retail space in New York City, the Warby Parker third floor office showroom. And so like, maybe there's something to this. Um, and so the holidays one year, we decided to do something called the Holiday Spectacle Bazaar. This is my co-founder, did an amazing job at this, where we took over a garage in Soho, we built yurts, um, and we had glasses that were sort of like displayed within these yurts. And that Holiday Spectacle Bazaar like exceeded our expectations by like 10x. It was mobbed every day. People were loving coming and experiencing Warby Parker in a real world space, celebrating the holidays with us, trying on glasses. And so we said, okay, maybe we should, maybe we should, you know, sort of continue to think about a real uh, a store. And then, you know, to my co-founder Neil and Dave's credit, they were very patient. They said, we only, if we're going to do a full-time store, we only want to be on these three or four blocks. We want it to be very close to our office. These are the specific retail blocks we want to be in in New York City, in Soho, not too far from the Spectacle Bazaar. And they waited and they waited and they waited. And we finally, they finally found a space. They came up on Green Street between Prince and House and in New York. They said, this is the place for our flagship store. And we launched that store, gosh, man, I don't know, five or six or seven years ago. And it was amazing. Like, again, totally exceeded our expectations. Um, 
And now fast forward, I think we have like 200 stores at Warby Parker. Um, and, and for me, like, it's all about kind of just like figuring out what customers want, which customer demand to get to experience the brand and trying glasses in person. And, and people wanted eye exams in person. They want to be able to fit contacts in person. All these things that we could offer people as a, um, as a result of, of, um, of having stores. And so it's about listening to your customer. I think at Harry's, it was interesting is we were in a focus group in the sort of couple of years in, and we were asking our customers, how can we make your lives better? Just kind of like a broad open-ended question I like to ask around razors and shaving, not just in general, but maybe in general, but really, you know, in, in, in shaving, how can, what can we do better? And what, there was this guy and he said, you know, I really like you. I love subscribing to your products. He's like, they come mostly when I need them. Sometimes I order a kind of one-off and it, you know, it'd be nice if I could just get you, get you in your products, get your product uh, on my Sunday family shopping trip at Target. And I was like, huh, it's interesting. You go to Target every Sunday, huh? Like, yep, every Sunday. I'm like, yeah, I like Walmart too and CVS and Costco and all these places, but yeah, I shop in stores and all your competitors are there. I expect to see you there. Why wouldn't you be there for me? You know, it might be easy. I don't want to have to subscribe to everything or I can just get you when I want you in a store. I took a step, we took a step back. We're like, yeah, why shouldn't we do that? Like, that seems like it would be customer centric and the right thing to do. And so then we launched Harry's and Target in 2016 and it totally exceeded our expectations. And then Walmart in 2018, same thing. And then now Harry's is in virtually every major US retailer. And so again, I just feel like customers kind of tell you what they think and you got to then launch in a way that's inspiring and exciting and make sure that you're creating an experience there that's awesome for them and it feels connected to DTC and all those other things. But yeah, I think we learn a lot by sort of ensuring that we're trying to do best for our customers. And I feel like when we do that, we swim kind of with the current. And every time we start to get crosswise with customers, for whatever reason, we start to swim upstream and we see that pretty directly. Well, it's interesting how you ask your customers what you could do better. And it seems as if you listen to them pretty carefully. Totally. Yeah. And look, I mean, sometimes they'll say things and we'll say, huh, that's interesting. Maybe we could take it a step further and do this or this or like, it's on us to create an inspired vision for them in that environment, you know? Like when we launched a Target, we put beautiful images of razors on packs and six foot end cap with a giant orange razor in the aisle. Like they didn't tell us to do that. That was our, so looking at this saying, this is how we could make it cool for them. But fundamentally, we could have had a sense for like, this is what kind of people want. Let's put ourselves in their shoes and go deliver that for them. And I, and I push our team to do that all the time. You know, one of the things that we do a lot is we think about the customer journey. So well, I literally try like on a board to put everything up from the moment someone sees Harry's to their fifth order. What are all the experiences they get from, from us? What are the ads they see? What's the website experience they get? What are the emails they get, et cetera? And we kind of challenge our team. We're like, all right, this is the journey. Put yourself in a customer's shoes. What doesn't feel good? What's confusing? And like people have amazing things. That's confusing. Well, we said that that way, but we said that that way over there. That's confusing. Which one, which one is it? And over time, like it's on us to then sort of do that. And then what we do is we try to like measure all the time how people are feeling about us. And when we start to go up or go down, we're like, hey, like going up, great. Let's do more of that. Going down, whoa, 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 whoa. What do we do? What caused us to create friction in someone's experience with us? Uh, more dissatisfaction than before. And how do we correct that and learn from that so we only do good things in the future? And so I do think that's a really important thing to do as a brand. I think brands are built through like all of those little touch points as much as they are through big advertising campaigns. Well, well um, as a shareholder of, of Warby Parker and as 
you know, and I take a tremendous amount of pride in seeing you as a former student, as well as your other founders, two of whom are former students, how well you've done and how well you listen to everybody and how you're doing good for everybody. Um, is there anything else that you think you want to impart to people on this? That, I mean, it just seems neat how you've been able to find markets where there's an opening and where there's a there's a big gap between the cost and what people are paying and yeah that certainly helped and then i think the other thing that uh that's been great and made it like really worth it for me is just getting to work with awesome people you know i just like i walked out of a meeting a couple hours ago and we we're making some hard decisions but our team was like so good they were just like dialed in weighing trade-offs talking with each other, building on each other's ideas, pushing each other's thinking politely. I didn't really have to say much in that meeting. I was like, this is just great. Like, you know, and what's there's real there, I get real personal joy in like seeing people collaborate in constructive ways and come to good outcomes and grow like professionally as a result. And I hope, you know, we've had at this point, certainly between Warby Parker and Harry's thousands of people that have worked at both companies. And I hope we've played like a good role in, in most of their professional journeys, um, that matters a lot too. And they've certainly done more than I could have ever done by a lot in terms of building our business. So that feels good well, too. I mean, I can tell you that I've had several students who've worked for you at either Warby Parker or Harry's. They've yeah. all had very good yeah. things to say about the experience, which is just very great good. to hear. Good. Is there good. anything else that I could, that you want to add? I just I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. It just seems like there's tremendous opportunities out there for you. I am very impressed by how you're giving back to help others. Yeah. And, um, how you've just, you know, just keep rolling and improving and increasing your sales channels, whether it be razors online and then um, through stores. And it's just, and same thing with your, um, with the Warby Parker. So. I don't know what else to tell you, but just thank you very much. Thank you. And um, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. So thank you. <laughs>